Coming at you from Handsome Headquarters here in sunny Los Angeles, California. I'm Lee Sanger Golden, and you're listening to me talk on the internet. I'm joined remotely today, as always, by my illustrious co-host, Ben. How you doing, buddy? Um, uh, I'm doing well, breathing, breathing well. That's nice. Good. Um, so I have uh, come to hear that you have some um, protective masks, face masks in your possession still. We, we here have run out. I, uh, I do. I do want to clarify since I know all of this is tracked. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have, I have some, they are completely covered in sawdust. They right. are in 95 masks with that little cool thing in the front. They really? work. Yeah. They're like the, well, I got, cause I, anytime I do work with, um, metal or wood mm-hmm. or, uh, anytime there's dust, basically I wear one yeah. of those. Okay. Um, I even cover my eyes a lot if I'm using saws cause I've gotten wood chips in my eyes and that's never a good thing. But, you know, so I have some. They're from a long time ago, but they are very covered in sawdust and sweat. Okay. So they're so, available. If anyone wants them, just call me and I okay. will deliver them. So you. you're not engaging in, like, profiteering is what you're saying? Absolutely not. I, I've hated that since the day I was born. You know I rail against that shit. I would never do that. Oh, it yeah. was interesting because when the, a couple weeks ago – when we started our shutdown and we were talking about masks, I was like, Oh shit, I got like 20 of those. Right. And then it went down to where I stored them and I realized I had a box of 10, but there was only like two left in it. And I was like, where the fuck did these go? And I don't know. So I, I have two and they're, I don't think they're, uh, they're probably going to give you something else if you wear them. Right. Kind of nasty. Yeah. I, um, I went to the store today because I had to, and um, I was just wearing this. I was just doing the scarf. I was just doing the scarf around my face, which is kind oh, of yes. cool. It, it reminds me of it reminds me of of New York um, when I had to wear a mask or not a mask. I had to wrap a scarf around my face uh, all the time um, when it was when it was snowy. There's something sort of adventurous about wrapping a scarf around your face. Um, it feels like you're braving uh, extreme conditions, whether it's uh, you know the desert sands or the you know icy icy snows. So um, it adds a, a, a an element of adventure to um, to venturing out here. So it totally um, does. I got yeah. a bandana ready to go for tomorrow. I'm doing some more food deliveries. Fantastic! Um, I heard on NPR today, our local NPR affiliate uh, at KPCC, uh, that they uh, Los Angeles Unified is uh, doing a program where they are uh, delivering food to, um, to uh, children uh, who normally rely on, uh, on school food uh, to get them through the day. Um, what was the program you're working with? It's similar, but for more for adults, right? My, well, it's for, well, it's been, it started, it's called uh, Urban Partners LA. It started in Koreatown right after the LA riots. So they've been going strong for 27, eight years now. Um, and so they're generally, they have a Saturday food pickup, but, um, and they, it tends to have four to 500 people throughout the day, uh, in an effort to practice physical distancing. Um, and then also respect that some people, uh, with either health issues or who are, um, over 65 
are told not to leave their house. And so to respect that, what one of the things I do is I'd actually just deliver the food since I have access to a car. I volunteered for that. Um, and what's really cool is that it's, it's gotten with, with the traction. It's been on the news a couple of times. The mayor came by last week. Uh, they're starting to get, uh, meat, uh, milk, Nice. And other cold and perishable goods, as, lo- as well as you know things like rice and cereal and other things like that. So they're pretty hefty. It's about per person about probably about fifteen, or probably about ten to fifteen pounds of food. Wow. Some of that's water weight. Some of that's milk. But it's uh, and then with families, I dropped them some off for a family of four, so they get four to five bags. Um, and it's increased to about eight hundred people came by last weekend. Wonderful. Uh, yeah, that's great. Well, thanks for the uh, thanks for the update on uh, on what's going on uh, with your your personal COVID response. Um, I know uh, in our our um, various roles at our um, our organization as peaceful warriors of the nonprofit sector, uh, we've all been uh, working on various uh, programs to respond uh, to um, some of the financial crises caused by this health crisis. So. Um, Thanks for the update. I don't want to get too bogged down. A couple housekeeping items. Um, Here at Handsome Headquarters, uh, my wife is uh, producing her own podcast called This Is Trash or Tit with her and Brad. So um, you you should uh, hop onto the uh, Apple podcast. Their first episode is up. So go ahead and subscribe. Give them stars as well. Uh, a couple of corrections. Uh, since we are uh, in lockdown, I've kind of gone back and, and through the feed and, and actually uh, uh, listened to a couple of episodes just to sort of see how things were uh, back in the day. Uh, there is an episode on uh, from the Inside Jobs Day with Brian uh, Days with uh, Brian and Gene, my conspiracy theory uh, podcast, where I mention um, the name of my synagogue from childhood, and I. I gave the wrong name. So my synagogue from childhood is B'nai Tikva, uh, the cantor of which is Jenny Shabon, who is the sister of Michael Shabon, who wrote the uh, many books like the Cavalier and Clay thing, and uh, <sighs> as well as the new Star Trek Picard show, which we can talk about later. Oh, I um, love those books. Yeah. Love yeah. that guy. Yeah, he's great. Shabon's cool. I ne- never met him personally, but I hear he's a good guy. Um, uh, let's see. And another correction, uh, in a recent episode, Sean Connery uh, t- speak, uh, spoke about the film he was in. Uh, he was trying to say Darby O'Gill and the Little People, but he said Brigadoon, uh, which is another like Irish-based uh, musical. So uh, corrections uh, going on there. Um, so yeah, that's about it uh, for our intro. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about culture, things that are going on uh, as we're all sitting at home watching a lot of TV, listening to a lot of podcasts. So hang tight. We'll be right back. Talk on the internet. And we're back talking on the internet with Lee and Ben. So um, a lot of podcasts I've been listening to have been talking about this Tiger King show. Have you watched any of this shit? I honestly, I, I, uh, I started to, and I had really no interest in watching it story develop. I really couldn't. Okay, good. Cause I don't want to talk about it. Cause everyone else is talking about it. All right, good. moving on. Uh, let's see. <laughs> uh, have you had a chance to binge Picard? I have not heard of this. Oh, yeah. this is the new star Trek. This is, uh, this is star Trek. Um, 
this is the 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 next generation timeline, right? So there's original. I heard so much, but I I didn't know. Maybe you might have mentioned this a few months ago. Did you not? Uh, probably. I you know I haven't had a chance to to see it. You know I'm a, I'm a big fan of all my my various franchises. Sitting here uh, on the on the uh, console of uh, the booth here at Handsome Headquarters, I have a Star Trek phaser. Uh, so you know uh, I'm a big fan of all things Trek. Uh, uh, but a lot of times there's so much new content, you know, there's, there's two new Star Trek shows on TV. And then there's also like little short films that they're releasing uh, as part of CBS all access. So I'm like really behind in Star Trek, which seems crazy. Um, but, you know, even though I'm a, bi- I'm a big fan, I, I, I sometimes see these things as like homework. There's so much stuff. There's all the Marvel movies. Every time I have to go see a new Marvel movie, it's like, Oh, this is fucking homework, you know? Um mm-hmm. It, the, the sort of, you know, when, when there wasn't so much, so many genre pictures and shows out, it was like when a new genre picture came out, like, oh, there's a new, you know, superhero movie and everyone would go see it and be really excited. Now there's so much superhero, so much sci-fi that even the shit that I like, like Star Trek, takes me a while to catch up. So finally did watch, um, watch that. Uh, if you want to hear my thoughts on it, go to author337.wordpress.com. That's author337.wordpress.com. Um, okay, so it looks like we have not been watching any of the same programs uh, while sequestered. Uh, have you been, uh, have you watched any uh, any good TV programs while sequestered up? I, um, what did I watch? I watched a little bit. Honestly, I have gotten so, I, I've gotten back to that phase in my life where I read until my eyes start itching and I just nice. can't keep them open any longer and then go to bed. Throughout the day, any break I have, I watched a couple episodes of something that is not coming to mind. I wish, I need to just, I think, watch a little bit of yeah. TV. Yeah. Yeah, you what know, have you been watching? Well, you know, my whole life, I'm always like, oh man, I wish I just had time to sit at home. And because uh, like, I have a novel that I've written that I want to do a final draft and, and publish that. Uh, I have a video game that I, I developed last year, Escape the Park which uh, is fun, but it's my, it's my first game. So, you know, there's, there's some like bugs and things that, that I want to fix. So um, I want to do a, an update to that, a 2020 update. This seems like the, the right time. Um, and then a 2020 update, I would say should happen around now. It's yeah, absolutely. So, um, I just plugged the the blog, but yeah, I would go to itch.io, itch.io and search escape the park. You'll find it there. It's a, uh, it's sort of what, what you would call a walking simulator. Um, but yeah, so there's all these projects, there's all these books that I want to uh, finish reading, all these movies that I want to watch, all of these personal projects that I have, like my game, screenplays I need to finish out and stuff like that. But I, I find there's so much to do, so many video games I want to play, so many books I want to read that like I'll get a little into something on one screen and then I'll hop over onto another screen and do something else. Then I'll open up a book. So I haven't really committed anything. So like I need to beat red dead, red, red dead redemption, which has been out for two years for instance. Oh, yeah. I gotta watch the rest of all this star Trek shit. So um, all of these things that once again, used to be things that I, I was so looking forward to red dead. I came, I bought it on the first day and then it was so epic and it was basically like a whole other life that uh, I, I, I had to give up on it. But I'm into the the walking simulators now, which are games where it's more about exploring the environment and uh, really sort of enjoying um, 
being into in another world. Some great examples of this are Gone Home, What Remains of, of Edith Finch, and Firewatch, which I'm about to play right now. But I did create my own walking simulator, um, which is a derisive term. It's mostly like a puzzle-based exploration adventure. And this takes place at a theme park uh, that is modeled after a very specific theme park uh, out here in uh, sunny Los Angeles, California, out in Anaheim, actually. Um, with a, uh, a particular uh, rodent who represents the brand uh, that sponsors and owns that park. So a lot of people are missing going to this particular theme park um, and, and doing virtual rides and virtual walkthroughs and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> but I would recommend playing this game as though as it uh, allows you to sort of explore uh, this park in um, or a very similar park in ways that you wouldn't normally be able to. So um, if you're, if you had plans to go to a theme park uh, this spring, go ahead and check out escape the park. Um, but I think, yeah. yeah, I, I played that game Lee and I actually found it. I thought one of the cool things was that I knew who made the game. You, which is cool. Yeah. And it's just cool to watch it. Like we're going to watch it develop folks. If you play it now, you're going to see the game uh, get more sophisticated over time. Yeah, but if exactly. I could share, like, as you were talking about, like, you had all these projects lined up, I had this, I, not an idea, like, I don't know if it's just kind of like a thought about a life. And um, so, you know, at times like this, some of us do have more time, others of us have less. Right. We're in a somewhat of a transition. And we, you know, sometimes we get the sense is like, oh, I had all this stuff that I wanted to do and I don't have the focus to do it. Why can't I just do it? I sure. should get, I should get going. And so there's always this, this kind of uh, dancing that we do. And then there's an article that pops up. Oh, how to be more productive, seven tips of productive people. But then I, for the first time thought about, so one of the, so, so something with COVID-19, and this is not saying this is its direct cause, uh -huh. but something that makes viruses and other infectious diseases, even mosquitoes, uh, mosquito bites, uh, which are not an infectious disease, but, uh, more prevalent as we get go on with time is that our hyper efficiency our always being productive hmm. has uh, when it's done in the industrial sense it's torn down a lot of our natural environment and yeah. it's been made and managed by humans and one thing that we look at is the urban um, nature divide as that gets pushed further and further out all of those natural habitats um, where things like viruses and insects had a lot of natural prey, not only are they disrupted so they have to find new stuff, but we also know about you know, species going extinct. So in this drive for hyper-efficiency at the macro level or at the industrial level, we create the uh, purview for things like viruses and other bugs to infect our species more often and more easily over time. But then if we look at the individual level at this time, within a week, uh, people are already like, how are you gonna be productive in this new reality? How are you gonna do this? How are you gonna do that? And I would say beyond food, water, shelter, and a little bit of love and caring yeah. for your people you know, it's like, hold on people, why don't we like take a step back for a second? and let ourselves go with the flow. Like at first I was like, why can't I concentrate? I'm all over the place, but I'm like, why don't I just go with this for a little while and just yeah, like see what on happens. What? If exactly. You if you can't concentrate on something at that time, that is your mind telling you, this is not what you should be using your mind for right exactly. now. Exactly. And so a lot of this- It's like that with stuff, work. 
Yeah. And so you some of it's lot, a war. You and I get a lot done um, in, our, in our various capacities, both uh, uh, professionally and personally. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but I think there's such an emphasis on we're having this meeting or working group right now. And, uh, you know, this needs to be done by X, X time. And yes, you do need to get things done by a certain time. But then like deadlines get delayed anyway. So, you know, if your mind is telling you like, I cannot focus on this spreadsheet right now. Okay, well, I'll tab away from the spreadsheet over to something that's more narrative, work on a proposal, something that requires uh, a different side of your brain. And if you're just like, you know what, I got major I got major uh, uh, writer's block, you know, and I want to use the other side of my brain, you know, all tab back over to, to Excel. And it doesn't have to be office based stuff. It can be around your house too. You're like, I'm really into folding laundry right now. And then like, you know what? I'm fucking sick of this. All right. Well then, you know, go out and do yard work if you work in a house or e even if you work in an apartment, go out and, and sweep the, the front. Go. Mm -hmm. You live in an apartment right now and you're, and you're bored and you're like, you're looking at your phone or TV and something that should be entertaining isn't go out and sweep. There's no yeah. reason for you to do that. They probably hire someone else to do that. You're not going to get paid. You're not going to get laid. It's not going to do anything, but you'll probably feel good. And then when you come back in, that work that you need to do or that show that you want to do is going to be easier and more enjoyable. Mm -hmm. And responding to that, your whole idea, your whole thing about the, the drive for efficiency um, is that in the, the eternal capitalistic effort to uh, be able to nimbly respond to demand in terms of your supply, we have um, uh, done ourselves a disservice in preparing for uh, a disaster like this. So um, for example, if uh, you base your um, healthcare system on profit, okay, rather than out the outcome of uh, healthier people and uh, people who live longer, okay? So you're gonna want to, um, you're gonna structure the amount of hospital beds that you have uh, based on maximizing profit. So if you uh, only need, you know, X number of hospital beds in a given uh, flu season, you're not gonna, you're not going to necessarily have more than that because it would not be cost effective. So that normally is good for the business because, well, you know, we don't have a bunch of empty beds. <clears throat> the problem is when you have a huge surge in demand like this, that it cannot be uh, necessarily uh, predicted through other market indicators. Okay. All of those extra beds that you need aren't there because instead of having a healthcare system that's set up to, uh, uh, for the, the greater good, you have it set up for the uh, greater profit. So, mm -hmm. so our, the, the nimble aspects of our uh, economy, when you need something more, or do us a disservice when you need something blunt. We have designed our, uh, our various business models to be um, razors or uh, you know, little, little surgical tools that we can exactly get to, uh, get to the demand we need. Well, right now we need a fucking mallet. <laughs> you know? We need to plow through this problem. Yeah, and then so what we see is like, so a lot of people call this like monetization or financialization. Like there's all these things that need to happen and some of them can be through, through sure. money. But like when it comes to something like health, we see different systems structured in different ways in different parts of the world. So that's not like we're talking about a utopia here or when we say no. the US isn't doing it well, but it's like, why, 
why is it structured this way? And then we look at, you know, we can go back to all sorts of, of things. But then what, if we get to like the immediate uh, just way that time is being spent in what you just described so well is that instead of a group of people sitting around trying to decide how to address this problem, we get something like where uh, executives at big pharmaceutical companies are doing contract negotiation. How can they make sure that they have certain rights and uh, up to monopolies of distribution, all this kind of stuff. So they're really just like working out all these contracts. Whereas if you do it in more of an organ, like a logistics way, where maybe even like a general is in charge. Right. um, With uh, an aim towards like you're saying, which is the health of people and how do we get the most number of people, those services and also work on a cure the most quickly, those conversations are different. There's no reason to really get credit and you don't need to work on all the things like the, the contracts and all that kind of thing. And, um, and so we're just like, and, and, then, and then to say, it's like, well, we can't just like co-opt those businesses and their processes. And you know what, that's a bunch of bullshit because right now half of the world is living under orders to leave their house as little as possible Right. Small business owners are told that they cannot open shops. Some of them are even getting in a lot of trouble for selling non-essential goods. Their retort is, well, why can Target also sell these goods? I'm going broke here. I need to feed my family. So give me an alternative. But you could still go buy Animal Crossing for Nintendo Switch. Right. And so at the individual level, we're being told to do all these things. So then if it comes to a company, why can we not say you have the, this supply chain you have these productive uh, capacities. This is how you need to use it. We told people to do this in order for them to get back to life as normal. You need to do this. And so it's bullshit when people are like, well, you can't just like tell them what they need to do. It's like, of course you can fucking tell them what they need to do. This is an emergency. And if we're all going to be playing along, so do the, so do the rich and powerful. And so what's really interesting is like, we have a lot of very fast developing case studies. Where in other countries, um, it, it's organized very differently. I mean, we have Denmark and England that have essentially almost nationalized their payroll for the time being and saying, yeah. we'll just pay a larger portion. We'll pay 80 to 90%, depending on whether you reduce people's hours or not. Whereas yeah. in the and US. What's the difference between that and you know, bailing out the oil industry, even though like, right. we are just stockpiling oil because. Uh, yeah. You probably know about this better, but I remember like the Obama administration said, like, we're going to go, we're going to become totally like, uh, you know, self-sufficient in terms of oil production. I remember like thinking that was funny, but we're there, right? Like essentially we can only rely on our our own. Uh, No, we're pretty far off. Then why do people keep saying that we're energy independent? What does that mean? Is that not oil? For electricity. For electricity. Okay. Yes. Uh, there's a lot of ways to look at it. Yeah, we don't import electricity because we generate our own, but okay. we're still, this, I think, one of the top three, if not the first. I can't remember. It shuffles around. Yeah, because like OPEC would yeah. totally topple if we were actually energy independent. Okay, so see, that makes sense. See, everything makes sense once you sort of like actually go to the root of it. Because I always thought like we're never, we're not, we're not going to be in energy independent anytime soon without a massive restructure of our energy economy in the United States. But then everyone's saying, oh yeah, we're energy independent. And I kind of went like, 
okay, I guess that's true. But then I kept thinking about it. Like, that doesn't make sense though. Cause OPEC would totally have just fallen apart and like would have no, like we would have no reason to be <clears throat> the Saudis, right. Other than military stuff and Qatar and all that shit. But and I was like, that just doesn't make sense. And then, you know, you're talking about it right now and you're like, yeah, it's not true. And it, it doesn't make sense because it's not true. There's always yeah. the, so the only thing that is, is the thing that makes sense. Human beings never make sense, but the, like what they think and what they do doesn't make sense, but why they think that way and why they do that does make sense. Like, remember so the, here, let me give okay. some, or I was going to get some stats on oil imports in case people are interested. Yeah. Um, this is the funniest show we've done so far, by the way. Yeah. So here's some like, this is from Wikipedia. They okay. obviously aggregate um, yeah. a lot of data points, but this is from 2017 or 18. If you look at the entire European Union, all those, I think, what is it? 20 something countries. 69. 69. 14 million barrels a day of oil imported. Crude, this is crude oil. Okay. China is now uh, 8.4 and the US is 7.9. 7.9 million barrels per day. Wow. India is 5.1, Japan's 3.1. And so it's interesting what Obama was saying, looking at a chart, is that during his presidency, we topped off at almost 11 million barrels of imported okay. oil a day, and now we're down. So what I think he was saying is that we had reached peak oil. We were now okay. on our way to being self So he's almost looking at it in terms of like like it's an offset. Where it's like, yeah, we're still getting oil from OPEC, but like less than we used to. Less than we used to. So if you sort of like look at it as an offset, we've <clears throat> offset enough that you could technically on the balance sheet say they were energy independent. You're right. And then if you have uh, like an oil anywhere from an economist to an anthropologist, yeah, will uh we'll look at it much differently because what they'll say is what is our effective imported yeah. oil? Right. So we know that China has been importing a tremendously large and fast increasing amount of oil, but they also use that to make products that we import and buy from them. And Got so it. a more accurate thing to do is actually the look at shit that they sell. Exactly. So although we've, you know, come down on the actual barrels, we're importing products from places like China and Japan and other places. We're also exporting stuff made with oil. Sure. But what you would need to do in order to calculate like a truly holistic number is look at all of those flows, not just mm. this uh, barrel. And yeah, so I don't know where it ends up. But yeah, if we have a yeah. globalist economy, you have to you have to look at the entire uh, the entire um, providence of the uh, the production distribution and uh, financing of all of these uh, these goods and uh, resources, right? And when they are producing shit and then we recycle it and sell our recycling back to them and then they sell it back to us, it's sort of like a, a rabbit chasing. It's, it's, ch it's chasing its tail or a fox chasing its tail or, or whatever. <laughs> and that allows a politician to just say whatever they want because there's no way a normal person would ever be able to think, would ever want to think this through that much. Right. But to go back or, to your point, yeah. Uh, so the point is we're stockpiling all of this oil like we're just oil like oil is totally fucking cheap right now but we're still producing it so we're just stockpiling it but meanwhile the the government wants to you know bail out the the oil industry as far as i know so if we can just do that for no reason then 
certainly like the Danes are doing, we should be able to, to subsidize the fucking payroll. We subsidize the payroll of, of Walmart by... Oh, it's never a question of what can and can't. Money is made it's out just of policy printed. and out of lending. Well, it's mainly made through bank loans. Sure. Because uh, that has a multiplier effect, but it's also made through fiscal policy. And yeah. so what you're saying, there's absolutely, there's no reason... Why? And I'm not always enough to think that you just print money and then that make then then that's money. Like I, I know that that's not true. I use that as representative representative of the way that that no, the what, what government is, can create money. They yeah create, no well, saying print money is a good thing to say still because you have both printing money, which we think of as fiscal policy, we're putting right. new money out there, um, and then there's also the creation of money out of thin air which is the which is also you know printing money but through lending when a bank a commercial bank makes a loan uh they're able to multiply the actual amount of money that they either have or have access to and so it it, printing money is still a good way of putting it um because in a sense that's what fiscal policy is obviously there's more to it there's still you know a lot of times there's a bond all that kind of thing but like it's all about priorities like Look around the world, and it's not just in European countries. There's uh, countries in other parts of the world, too, that do it quite differently. There's no, you know, uh, Germany, for instance, has 80% of people work for small businesses. The U.S. is about 50-something. Yeah. They've taken a much more favorable approach to small businesses. U.S. is obviously still obsessed with financial capitalism and we have really supporting this, like, our monopolies. We have this lie that we love, we love small businesses so much. So you have like, yeah. so you have no, these companies, you have like bank companies, you have, ba- uh, you have lenders, right? Who are, who are paying uh, large lenders, paying large marketing firms to create commercials about their clients, right? And these commercials, they'll show like a, they'll show like a woman with sweat on her brow setting up her new restaurant that she's opening. They'll show like an old man, like opening the door to his, uh, uh, you know, to his antique bookshop, you know, they'll, they'll show the guy like putting the bushels of hay in the back of his <clears throat> truck and driving it into town. They'll show the, the young woman at the, at the farmer's market, like, you know, uh, smiling as she hands over strawberries and they'll say things like small businesses are the backbone of our economy, but it's, a giant marketing company getting paid by a giant lending company to uh, produce all of these uh, nice commercials with nice little solar flares that make uh, in, in, in a warm color palette that make us feel like uh, uh, somebody out there fucking cares about um, about small businesses. When we don't, and we look at a time like this where it's like, okay, you can get a loan. Small businesses can get a loan right now, but first you have to get in line and you have to be nimble and smart enough to actually get the loan in. And most people are just scrambling to try to take care of their families and also their employees. Uh, They don't have necessarily a bunch of time to be on government websites reading fucking PDFs about how to apply for loans. And then of course, the, the, the lenders don't, the lenders don't necessarily want to get this, this, uh, this money out the door that's in this big, uh, this big bill this trillion, multi-trillion dollar bill because they just found out about like the terms like a couple of days ago. And, and they know that the loans will be forgiven if they don't do the due diligence. So if a small business applies for one of these new federal loans, right, and it goes through a lender and they can't pay up, um, if they can't pay up, then they're just fucked. But if they can't pay up, 
and it turns out that the lender didn't do the due diligence, well, then the government takes, uh, takes, uh, uh, has to uh, uh, pick up the bill. So yeah, and it's also set up for, and it's also this pernicious addiction to competition. We put out way less money that we know is needed. We did it in a convoluted way to make sure that banks could profit off of it because a lot of other countries are just doing it directly from their equivalent of the IRS. There's absolutely no uh, reason, again, you can justify anything you want with words. There's no reason it has to go through a commercial bank. Like maybe if you have an existing bank relationship, but a lot of small businesses, if you have, like I've been helping some friends go through this who have, you know, four to eight people that work for them. Right. They, they don't, I mean, they, they might have a, a checking account, but they haven't used a loan before. No. And so if we really wanted to succeed for the small businesses that are the backbone, you would just do it directly and, and take away all of the extra, because the ones who also need it the most don't have the time to, fill, yeah. to, to go apply and go through all of the, even if it's a little amount, mm-hmm. it, can take, it can take several hours and it, it could take even more if you have to gather a lot of documents. Sure. And so it's, it's, it's adding an extra step to make sure that our private commercial banks. Yeah, they don't have armies of lawyers to look over the term sheets. Either. Right, and so you just make sure that they now have access to potentially new customers or a little bit, you know, they get sure. a little kickback, a little fee, an origination fee, and it's completely unnecessary. There's and no just reason from a, it has to happen. No, of course not. And just from a psychological perspective, individuals are way more, individuals and in small companies, little LLCs or whatever, they are way more averse to the idea of being in debt, although most of them are, you know, um, whereas a, a larger company um, knows that whatever you're making, debt is your business, right? As Trump said, I'm the king of debt. And that sounds like a perverse statement, like he's bragging about something that should be something bad. But debt is a fundamental um, tool for the creation of money. Essentially, all commerce is a form of debt. The second that you're using, uh, the second that you're using uh, currency of any kind, the second that you are making any sort of exchange of goods and services where on one end, it's the actual good or service. And on the other end, it's just basically a little ticket, a little coin, a little piece of whatever that represents what that good or service is ostensibly worth. It's all debt. And then if we look at also like when we did either a bailout or the tax bill, what is it, last year or the year before, people are, you know, you might argue, it's like, well, you know, people should go through the process so they understand it all. And it's like, why? When we gave a major uh, tax break and relief to big companies, that money basically just showed up in their bank account, yeah. you know, give or take a little bit. So why not just the IRS has the bank account information for a lot of if most small businesses that pay their taxes, just deposit money into their account and yeah. don't even, and so it's like, and, and, and you could, you know, send it. Cause the thing is like, there's some information about this, but it's so, it's been so messy and convoluted and right. Trump will stilt skin and all. He doesn't spend a lot of time during press conferences talking yeah. about it. Talks about his don't hair, really, exactly. So it's like, the much easier thing to do is do the way that we've done other bailouts or the way that we've done other rich person tax stimuluses. Yeah. Just put the money in the business's account. Of course. Or mail them a check if, they, if you don't have it. And don't ask questions. Don't say anything. Now you got a bunch of extra money out there. And they can go about 
paying their employees and staying open. And you know what? There's going to be some corruption. Some people are going to close their businesses anyway. But look sure. at big. But there's always. I mean, look at our highest levels of corruption. It's in the hundreds of billions, if not trillions. Yeah. This is you know ten fifty thousand bucks. Look, if we just vast use the majority. Money. We just used yeah. the TARP money 10 years ago to actually just pay off the subprime mortgages. If we just actually, if the government just used that money to just buy off the to toxic, toxic assets and keep those people in their homes or just buy the empty homes that, because, uh, you yes. know, building <clears throat> stop, but there's a shit ton of empty homes and just put the people in there, then you could solve the problem easily. And look, day of Jubilee, a day of Jubilee, day of Jubilee. Look, it's in the fucking Bible. It's in the gosh darn Bible. It's in the Bible, but we also have, we have the book Debt, The First 5,000 Years by David Graeber. He's an anthropologist and it's an amazing read. He has at least 10 case studies over the last 5,000 years of different rulers at different times declaring a day of Jubilee, saying whatever debt money was out there is erased. Let's start over. Money shouldn't define us. That's why the two greatest movies of the 1990s. And look, I'll I'll throw you know what I love Shawshank. I love me some Shawshank Redemption, some Pulp oh, yeah. and all of this shit. But the maybe not the best movies, but the two movies that are key to my philosophy are Goldeneye and Fight Club, because the quote bad guy unquote their their mission their bad guy plot is the erasure of debt. It's Jubilee. Like through all the violence and craziness. What at the end is Tyler Durden trying to do in Fight Club? He's destroying the banks. And he specifically says, I made sure that we're only bombing these banks that have um, no people in them. It's a totally nonviolent satyagraha act of quiet but noble defiance to basically erase the debt. Jubilee. Yeah. Goldeneye the same way, Operation Goldeneye, they're using the satellite to do an EMP blast on the Bank of London, which, you know, of course, is the financial epicenter of uh, the European, well, not the European Union, but of European commerce in a lot of ways. But to get back to the whole question of, like, of, you know, these tax, these tax stimuluses, stimuli and these uh these tax relief packages that that trump has been touting he you know he, he cut all of this corporate tax right and then talked about how great the fucking economy was and and basically said you know see i i, I get, let them keep their money they put it back into the economy and now the economy is great and of course that fell apart because the, the second one thing goes wrong and a million people get the fucking flu okay it all falls apart but the thing about federal governance, uh, both in terms of uh, economic policy, social policy, and international policy, it's all about leveraging your levers. In the federal government, you have a lot of levers of power, but only so many that can, in the immediate, provide you with results. And the mm -hmm. two examples I think of are taxes, social, uh, sort of uh, like social cultural wars, and internationally, um, sanctions. Okay. You can't just sanction, you can't just go in one direction with North Korea or Iran and just sanction them until literally no money is flowing into the country, right? Because they will be totally crippled. They'll fall into a crazy failed state. Terrorists will rise up and start and things will be worse, right? You have to push that leverage, sanction them when they're doing something bad and then give them opportunities to do. And I, I'm, I'm using bad and good in quotes. And then when they do something quote good, then you pull the lever back. 
mm-hmm. in terms of the sanctions, right? And so you sort of need, you can't go, you sort of need to be yanking it back and forth in order for society as currently structured to stay in line. And the same thing goes with tax policy. Like the, the corporations are right in the sense that if you keep taxing us, we're not going to want to do fucking business here. We're going to, we're going to go offshore. We're going to use NAFTA or whatever we can to get the fuck out of here. Okay. But that doesn't mean you don't tax them. So look, you let the Republicans come in and they, 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 they get rid of all the regulation and they get add a bunch of, uh, uh, add a bunch of tax relief and that fucking sucks. But you know what? Then that gives something for the liberals to come in and do and pull back. And Mm -hmm. so the lever of society gets pulled back. Now on the broader macro scale, is that good for humanity? I don't fucking know. My head's exploding just thinking about it. But that is why these these things happen. And that's why society doesn't completely fall apart because these levers, whether they're sanctions, taxes, or uh, you know, social uh, issues, I don't need to get too much into the culture war side of things. You have to keep pulling them back and forth for society to stay in place. Yeah. Now, is that good? If we get rid of those levers and things kind of fall apart and we start from zero and go into Jubilee, would that be good for us overall? Probably. Maybe in two or 300 years, our lives would kind of suck, but you and I would be sitting, living in trash cans, eating rabbit meat and laughing with self-satisfaction because we were right. So I know. Oh, well, I want to add one more thing because you brought this yeah. up too. It's not just about redistribution, but distribution. Distribution. It's and, not distribution. And one, way, and one way to address that is by something like having what Germany does, a robust public banking system in which the public banks have different mandates than the private banks. And so especially in a time like now where cities are really struggling yep. to, to pay their bills, which at the end of the day is just providing services and paying people a living wage. It is if crazy. If you have stuff like public banks, they can address it themselves. So you're not always at the behest of either tax base, which gets deteriorated right now, or uh, private banks, which are seeking the highest return, which is almost never going to be social services done by cities and counties. So right. you give access to public banks, you still do some of the taxation, but you don't make that your only, only lever, because otherwise everything just has to go through the, the private sector, which isn't you know, it's good for some things, but not everything. Exactly. Look, that's why I, I, I'm not like a super communist and I'm not a super capitalist because there's some things the government's good at and there's some things that businesses are good at and the opposite is true. Exactly. The is true as well. You ever heard of cars, for example? You ever heard of the Yugo? Oh, I love, yeah. Was that from... Um, Yugoslavia. Oh, yeah. I, I've looked at it. was a tiny little car. It was like... Of course, a little communist like you would love, uh, would love the Yugo. But anyway, the I Yugo... Wanted, yeah. I actually tried to buy one a couple years ago, but... Oh, my gosh. They're during, not easy to find. During the Cold War, when Yugoslavia was under the, 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 the yoke of the Warsaw Pact and was a, a, a Soviet satellite, they made their own... Uh, um, sort of national car, the Yugo. And uh, it was, you know, a piece of shit. Like it was the, the kind of thing where like the hubcaps would fly off. It is notorious as one of the worst cars ever. Okay, so you don't necessarily want your government creating cars. I would much, meanwhile, in the United States, we were making awesome fucking uh, little pony muscle cars. We got, you know, Mustangs and, and Camaros and, and, uh, and Chargers and shit, right? So they're, you know, out in communist land, they're driving this little fucking piece of shit. And out here, we're drag racing into oblivion, man. Anyway, uh, and then <laughs> the inverse is, is, is true as well. You don't want, uh, there's some things that the government is good at, okay? Uh, the government is going to be better at running prisons and schools 
and the army. You don't want that to be monetized. You don't want people to be making money off of incarceration or making money off of education or making money off of waging war. Everyone's heard of Blackwater, right? These crazy fucks who didn't have to obey rules of engagements during the war in Iraq, and they just went nuts and committed fucking war crimes. Okay? Right. I and don't want also, corporations fighting my wars, and I don't want the government telling us what kind of fucking car to make. And But what you do want the government doing on the education is funding research that doesn't have any direct um, ability to make money in, or in the short term. Because stuff like the internet, the touchscreen, uh, GPS, things like that, the pill, lasers, those are all created through highly coordinated government-funded research efforts. But the if we pill, like that... The, 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 uh, the pill yeah. for, for women? Yeah. So all these things where you want... What was the government reason behind that? I mean, God bless them. Um, as low Well, it was government funding research into things where it didn't have a short-term result or right. any way for like it had to be some racist ass shit though right because like oh, i don't know but what i'm saying is you want them funding research on things like no one actually makes money on the internet you make money right. by creating uh paywalls and toll booths that people right. have to go through which has nothing to do with innovation it's pure raw capitalism that's allowed to exist right. more so in this country because we love capitalists and robber barons um but you want yeah. the government funding research that might not pay off for an entire generation or two yeah. um, because a company is never going to take that. Or stuff like right now, if we had 10 times more money put towards infectious disease research, we probably have already had there you go. a cure for COVID-19 on the shelf ready to go. We'd also have one for COVID-69, COVID-22, COVID-42, COVID-420. And we might never use any of them. But the thing is, it's like if we have all this surplus and excess and we've got a lot of mines that were paid for through tax dollars that went through, you know, K through 12, maybe some college and even up to like research labs. Why should those people go either? I mean, some of them are even working at like Google because they pay so much and they're just fucking around with like, search engine optimization, which is completely worthless. Um, I mean, in our you know, current world order, it has value for an individual to make money, but in a different way, there's yeah. other ways to structure it. But it's like, why not pay somebody you know, a little bit more than a 6x differential between Google and, a, and doing research? And then they might be motivated. It's like, hey, I'm gonna use my virology uh, PhD there you go. And spend time tinkering and seeing what I come up with because that sounds like a cool job. And instead of paying 40,000 versus 250, maybe it's like 150 versus like 200. And then it's like, you know what? I could live off of 150. And I'd much rather do research in a lab all day than work at fucking Google or Facebook or whatever, spying on people and making money off of it. Hell yeah. So, right. so anyway, do we have a guest today? Like we talked, I think. Yeah, we talked a lot. You know, I, lot. I, sometimes we try too hard to be funny or talk to funny people. So I do enjoy just talking about uh, actual issues. But uh, look, hey, you know, we have a lot of people in our our, uh, our Rolodex. Today, our Rolodex. <laughs> so I, you know what? And uh, I'll leave it up to you. Is there anyone that you want to talk to about any of these issues? Just think back on all the people we've talked to in the past uh, the past couple months since we've been doing this season. And uh, just tell me who you want to talk to. Well, I mean, you did bring up um, <clears throat> both Fight Club and GoldenEye, two movies I really do like. Yeah. So 
I, don't, I mean, I don't, I'd either bring, I mean, if we want to go even further back with Bond, I would bring in Sean Connery, but sure. I would say, let's bring in Sean. You know, you want to bring in Sean or do you want to bring in someone that we know from Goldeneye in the production of that movie? Ooh, do I know anyone who did Goldeneye? I don't think I know anyone who did Goldeneye. Let's just not talk the, to Sean. Not the camera guy or the stunt, stunt people? <laughs> Let's call Sean. Let's call Sean. Okay. Uh, folks, we'll be right back for our final segment. We're going to talk to Sean, uh, our, our buddy, Mr. Connery, about certain things. And uh, so don't turn that podcast dial, baby. We'll be right back. And we're back on Talk on the Internet. And uh, we brought a very special guest on the line. So, uh, Ben, why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce our guest and start this interview up, all right? Um, so I'm going to try to get through this whole introduction without um, our illustrious guest cutting us off. But we have here today uh, Sean Connery. Um, you might know him as uh, the guy with one of the coolest voices ever. Uh, he's got a great white, always had that great white mustache, even at the age of like 15, I think. Um, well, he's got his own website. He owns seanconnery.com. Um, he's got some, a a quote of Steven Spielberg. There are seven genuine movie stars in the world today. And Sean is one of them. Steven Spielberg. Sean, welcome on the show. Thank you, Ben. It's, uh, Good to be back. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who, uh, imitate me and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's something that uh, I appreciate is to actually be able to have my voice out there and, uh, you know, explain what are the things uh, that are going on. So you had some questions uh, regarding what's going on in the world. So, you know, I'm here at your disposal. Yeah, I would say, you know, given your background, you've spent a lot of time in, in the UK, in, yeah. in Russia or the Soviet Union when you were there. With, with um, love. With, with love. love. And I think you've even spent some time in the in the U.S. and yeah. and I do know there was a little bit of time in, in Germany. Maybe give us a little sense of what you see going on right now in the in, in a geopolitical sense between these four countries. And if you want to bring in China, that's fine. But I know you don't really know anything about it. Well, I know plenty about China. Well, you make up a lot, but yes. Yes, uh, you know. Well, I'm you know in the first uh, well the first uh, Bond pictures, uh, you only live twice. I believe it. St- it takes place in Japan, but I believe it. It uh, it, it starts in China, and um, there's a very racist line, where uh, you know my character says, "Why do Chinese girls taste different than all other girls?" And that that is the thing. That's the, the thing is that all countries are countries, but they all sort of taste a little bit different. And uh, as as you know, there's the uh, you know the National Health Service in. Uh, in the UK. And what this does is it serves people. And one thing you'll find is whatever, however your healthcare is structured, there's going to be some fucking guy complaining about it. So, you know, here in the United States, you hear everybody, the Bernie bra burners, and they're saying, you know, oh, we want, we want the NHS of America. You know, we want to have things provided to us. We want to have, you know, people in, in, in Castro's country, you know, they can get fucking dental work without having to, uh, you know, sell their gold teeth to get the gold teeth. But then you go over to the UK, you see, and there's people saying, you know, fuck the NHS. You know, they'd much rather go to a fancy doctor in the United States than they would have to wait in line for a fucking clinic, you know, 
out in Morgan mm-hmm. Bay or whatever. So, you know, it's, it's, look, they taste different. Everything tastes different, but it's still, you're not a fucking hospital. You're in a hospital. You know what I'm saying? That's true. That's you got true. coronavirus. You're still fucked. Do you think there is sometimes a better way of doing things and some other way or basically it's just perspective? Sure. Look, you know, we're thinning the herd here, Ben. Okay. You got a lot of people who are <clears throat> frankly weak what? pieces of oh. shit. You oh, know. Sean, I've never heard you talk like this. Well, my wife is, uh, she has coronavirus. And, uh, oh, she, are you? Well, she's French, really? you see. And uh, we're not sure if she'll pull through because the French are weak people. And uh, they, were, they were never able to fight back the Germans. And I don't think they'll be able to fight back coronavirus. And so I think that we're seeing, we're seeing the end of France. You know, everyone's been trying to, here's the thing, Ben, everyone's been trying to get rid of France for years, okay? You, know, you got the Russians fighting Napoleon, you got the British, you know, all that fucking Shakespearean war of the, you know, Henry V and all that shit. Everyone's trying to get rid of the fucking French people. The Germans tried it. Americans, I believe you fought a war with the French. Everyone's fought the French. No one's been, everyone hates them, but no one's ever been able to, to, to stop them. And I think that coronavirus will finally kill France. And I'm fine with that. So that's my perspective is, look, you know, everyone's going to fucking complain, but you got coronavirus, you got coronavirus. And you look at the per capita beds, hospital beds in Italy. Okay. Italy not only has, you know, the highest death rate of coronavirus victims, but they also have, uh, they have the highest total death. And per capita, they have more beds. All right. In Italy. Than they do in the United States, but you still got more fucking people dying. So what's the deal? That is it the nationalized shit better, or is it just because I mean you look at Iran and you look at Italy, and they're two countries where guys kiss all the fucking time, and those are countries where people are getting thrown in mass graves and shit, you know. So is it really that the national healthcare? Is it really the you know the Ayatollah's healthcare is shittier than fucking the Queen of England's healthcare? Or is it just that, you know, in, in England, people don't fucking kiss other guys? That's what I think. Interesting. You have, are these, like, how do you, how do you develop your uh, theories and insights into the human condition? Uh, well, like most rich men, without formal education, you know, I will see uh, a couple of pieces of anecdotal information that it's so slight, it's such a slight uh, survey group that you could not even consider it to be a trend. And you certainly cannot consider it to be uh, statistically uh, relevant. But I'll take these two or three pieces of, of anecdotal information. You know, I'll have one friend say some shit, and then I'll have another friend say some shit, and then I'll notice something about a particular ethnic group. And then I will decide, based on those three, those two things that I heard from someone and one thing that I saw at the airport, I'll build an opinion uh, that is racist. And so this is how I base most of my, this is how I create most of my opinions. Interesting. So triangulate, using triangulation to create yes. new racist. To, uh, right. I'll take, you know, we're talking about healthcare, not racism, but you know, really it all boils down to that. Doesn't it? Right. So, so in your mind. And so what interesting thing is if we could go back to 31 years when you were, uh, Awarded the sexiest man alive by People Weekly. Um, yeah. Is that when I won the Oscar for uh, for uh, the uh, Kevin 
Costner picture, the one with maybe. The- no, I think that was later. Yeah, I was sexy. I had a mustache, and I was, uh, you know, physically threatening Barbara Walters on television. This was like Probably. a second heyday for me. It was a great time. But yeah. yes, I do remember People Magazine giving me a So did you meet, so in that year, Michael Jordan was the sexiest athlete, sure. and John Goodman was the sexiest big guy. Sure. And Kevin Wall was the sexiest hunk. Did the four of you spend any time together for those photo shoots? Sure. I mean, of course. I mean, John Goodman and I were old friends. We, it goes very, very far back. And uh, we're good friends. And uh, my, uh, Mike is, you know, him and I will do a, we'll do a game of pickup every once in a while. And really? Okay. Yes, of course. But we're, we're, playing, ever... we're playing NBA Jam. So you ah. see, there's a big head mode in GoldenEye 64, right? And then, mm-hmm. of course, people have big heads in... Uh, NBA Jam. So what would happen is, is we would play a game of pickup where you know I would be playing Goldeneye and he'd be playing NBA Jam. So yeah, Mike and I uh, hung out, and then who's the other guy? Kevin. Kevin Wall. I don't. Who the fuck is that? Ken. Ken Wall. Um, he's a hunk. I well, guess that was a category. Hunk. And I'm a hunk too, but is that? No, you're a sexy man. Sexy. Yeah. Okay, so sexy man, and then John Goodman was. Most fuckable fat man. <laughs> what was that? It, is that what you, the two of you, did? Look, hey, look, man. If I was a chasing chub, I would break off a piece of Goodman anytime. But did, did I just hear Obama in the background? Hey, look. Was that? Are you with <laughs> Obama? Are you guys playing NBA Jam? Did we interrupt? Oh, no, 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 no. We're playing FIFA. You see? Oh. Okay. Who else is there? Uh, hey. Hi, man. It's your turn. Well, I think the batteries are running out on my Xbox controller, and so oh. Oh, do you have to, the whole screen. Who, who else is there playing with you? Well, it's me and uh, and Barry, and uh, you know we've also got uh, we've also got uh, Harrison Ford, you know, who played my son in uh, Indiana Jones, and uh, you know he's here as well. So it's me and Barry and and Harry. Wow. Any other? You know that 18 U.S. presidents have been targets of an assassination attempt. No, okay. Well, does that include successful? Uh, yeah, four of those were. Okay, well, so. I guess you, you would consider it successful. Others would call it a tragedy. <laughs> well, you Based know, on it, the idea that you want like, the entire the, French population. Oh, I have a question going back to the entire sure. French population. And then let's get to the assassination here. But yeah, yes. So, so it made me think, do you mean any, anyone living within the arbitrary boundary borders of France, the Le- nation state? as they call it. Yes, the hexagon. Or do you mean, what if there was a, a person born in France currently on vacations in Morocco? Would you also want them? Morocco. Yeah. Well, for, you know, if they're for, they're for tax purposes, they'll be fine. But if they're there just for vacation, I think they'll be swatted out of the skies by the act of God, the hand of God, you know what I mean? The hand of God. Yeah. So yeah. So to the the president. So let's just let's run a let's run her back through. So we got uh, you know uh, Reagan, John uh, Hinckley tried to kill him, right? Gerald Ford was assass was uh, they attempted to assassinate him uh, uh, twice. Squeaky uh, Lynette Fromm and the, the other woman Sarah Jane Moore. Uh, and I don't know if you qualify someone, Sam Bick, uh, hijacked a, a plane and tried to crash uh, it into Richard Nixon. Jimmy Carter, I don't know of any. Uh, Osama bin Laden actually planted a bomb 
uh, during a um, uh, during a pan Asian uh, what's it called uh, trade conference. What's the what? I think it was the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. There was, and they, Osama bin Laden tried to, to do a bomb. I know someone shot at the window where, um, where Bush was. I'm pretty sure someone attempted to assassinate Obama. So, I mean, what are we talking about? Are we talking about people like getting really close to it? Like Sarah Jane Moore or, you know, John Hinckley got far closer than Sam Bick. So would you say Sam Bick was successful, but I mean, w- would you count these in the same category? So then of course we have JFK. Yeah. They tried to kill Roosevelt, but technically he was president elect at the time you see. And of course, Garfield, uh, big Bill McKinley, of course, they tried to assassinate uh, Teddy Roosevelt, of course, but I don't, I think he was, that was his second run as bull moose. I don't think he was, he was currently president at that time. Andrew Jackson, I think someone tried to kill him and Davy Crockett beat him with a cane or something like that. That's true. It actually did happen like that. Wow. Of course, there's you know Ab- a lot, Sean Connery. There's Abraham Lincoln, of course. And, you know, Abraham Lincoln, when I think when he was first coming into Washington, they also, this, okay, this shit is crazy, okay? So Abraham Lincoln was coming into Washington, right, when he first was elected. And he... They what they did was they found out that there was an attempted assassination, you see. So they brought him in. He didn't come in in a big fucking parade or whatever. They brought him in uh, under coat of night, on a cloak of night to avoid the assassination. And the police officer, okay, who found out about the assassination attempt, you see, his name was John Kennedy. So you see, I have a theory that J- John Kennedy actually... Uh, did not die. He faked his death, traveled back in time to stop the assassination of uh, of Abraham Lincoln. Because in the previous timeline, in, in the original timeline, Abraham Lincoln was killed before the Civil War, you see. So JFK traveled back in time, corrected that. But of course, you can't change the course of history. So he was still, Abraham Lincoln was still killed in Forge Theater. So you're right. So I've known a lot about this. So do you know do you know the only president who's buried in Washington DC? Who's buried Past in Washington? President. Past yeah. president. Well let's see JFK is buried in Arlington, I think. Is that in DC? No, it's Woodrow Wilson. It's Woodrow Wilson. Well, yeah. Famed eugenist, Woodrow Wilson, you see. Yeah. And then I didn't realize, is this true that three presidents died on July 4th, two of which died on at the same day, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson in 1826? Interesting. And, and then, then also, James Monroe in 1831. That is weird. And Bill Pullman almost died in Independence Day, you see. Our forty, our thirty-seven, our 69th, 69th president. Who during the during the alien invasion, during the Jeff Goldblum crisis of nineteen ninety-seven or whatever, he saved us, and he narrowly escaped to death. And I think it was uh, Randy Quaid who saved his life. And Randy Quaid incidentally played the president in LBJ the early years. You see, and uh, Lady Bird Johnson was played by oh fuck, what's her name? She's always in all the Stephen Sondheim's. Anyway, that's about it. <laughs> wow. Any other questions? Uh, Lee, do you have any questions for our illustrious guest who seems to know more American history I mean, than Scottish? Okay. I, I think I'm going to ask 
the same thing that I asked last time we had Mr. Connery on the show. Yes. What's that? Well, I, I, can you, is there, can you sing a song for us? Yes, of course. Uh, what kind of song do you want to hear? Ben, what's your favorite song? Um, I would say either um, the song about sheep, um, Baba Black Sheep, or Doe a Deer, or um, Tomorrow Never Dies. Oh, darling, I'm killed. I'm in a puddle on the floor, waiting something. I don't remember that one, but let's do Doe a Deer. A female deer lay a drop of golden sun. Me, a name I call myself far, a long, long way to run. So, a needle pulling thread, I forget the rest. The Nazis are after us, and so we run away. Sound of music. Wow, that was that was great. Um. Ben, uh, I think that's about all the time we have for today. Do you have any uh, last uh, last words of, of wisdom for our audience out there? I don't. Just, um, you know, take this time as you can. Help someone else that you know. Spend time. Call people that you haven't called for a while. But also just get closer to the people that are already in your life, you know? Nice. And um, That's good. And eat rice and beans. I've been eating a lot of rice and beans and tortillas. Really oh, good. yeah. That's great. Yeah, yeah, rice and beans is excellent. I've been eating, yeah, we've been doing a lot of bushes, baked beans, roll that beautiful bean footage, you know, refried beans, all kinds of beans. Oh, yeah, baby. Yeah. What about you? Do you have any words of wisdom? Oh, yes. I was saying this the other day. We need to approach this situation. We need to approach this situation calm, compassionately, and logically. So. Oh, yeah. You know, assume that everyone, you know, there's a lot of freaked out people. Assume that everyone's coming from a good place. Don't freak yourself out. Be compassionate to others who might be annoying you, uh, whether they're in your family or people you see on the street. And be logical. You know, don't buy all that toilet paper. Okay, just buy as much as you need. And uh, pass the duchy to the left-hand side. That's about all I got to say. Pass the duchy to the left-hand side. Yeah. All right, man. Well, let's do another. We'll, let's cast some pod uh, next week. And uh, it's good talking to you. And uh, yeah, thank you, Sean. No, yeah, it's good to, good to see you, boys. Yeah, thanks, Barack. Have fun playing your game. Oh, come on. Uh, this controller. Uh, this, this game is cheap. All right, well, I, we, don't, we don't care. Okay. Uh, thank you. Christ. Okay. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> He's playing video games right now. All um, right. right. For Lee, for Ben, for Sean, for Barry. I'm Lee Sanger Golden. You're listening to me talk on the internet. Have a good time, folks. Bye. Bye.